Good morning, everybody. How are you today? Glad you're here. Thank you for joining me. Today is Tuesday, April the 21st. It is part two of our study on heaven and hell. So uh, yesterday I was told that I went a little fast. So sorry about that. A lot of information to cover, a lot of things that I am excited about talking about. So uh, certainly hope that uh, today I'm able to slow down a little bit and that uh, you're able to uh, process and enjoy the conversation. Okay, yesterday we talked about the difference between heaven and hell, what the Bible says. Hell is a place of darkness, how it's a place of gnashing of teeth, of suffering, how it's a place of uh, of loneliness, of separation, uh, and how um, it's a place you don't want to go to. It's a place of darkness, place of suffering, place of uh, separation, and I'm missing one more, a place of fire. How could I forget that? A place of fire. And he- heaven's the opposite. It's all the, uh, you know, it's all the good things. It's a place of light. It's a place of refreshment. It's a place of water, still waters, you know, uh, and uh, it's a place of eternal, you know, paradise. So from yesterday, it's clear that heaven is the place you want to go to and hell is the place you don't want to go to. So the Bible talks about heaven and hell and heaven is the place you want to go. Hell is the place you don't want to go. So now what does the Bible say about who gets into heaven? Who is able to go to heaven? Heaven is an invitation only party. Uh, And so who gets to go there? Who is God inviting? God is going to invite whoever God chooses, right? Heaven is God's kingdom. uh, And so it's not a, you know, it's not a democracy up there. It's not a republic. Uh, It is a, you know, God is in charge. And so who gets in is up to God. So this has been the topic of conversation for many, for for 2000 years, maybe even before that, who gets in and who doesn't. I just want to know what the Bible says. What does the Bible say? I think if we take a look at what the Bible says, then we can have a good idea of what uh, what heaven might look like or a better idea, uh, remembering that it's God's decision, that we don't get to say one person gets in and one person doesn't. So, And, and as I said yesterday, the place to start is John 3.16. You may have heard this verse before. Stop me if you've heard this verse before. Okay, so John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So here is, for the Christians, for Christians, the first people who are promised to be saved are those who believe. Those who believe in Jesus. Those who believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Those who believe that Jesus died to save us. So, I mean, that's... That's basic Christianity, right? That those who believe will be saved. What does that mean? What does that mean? What what do people have to believe? What do what amount of belief do people have to have? These are all things that people have argued about for years. Do you have to believe the right thing? This is the creeds. This is why the creeds were written. So that people would believe the right things. The Nicene Creed was written so that people would believe that God, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father, so that you would believe the right thing. And if you didn't believe the right thing, well, sorry. The Athanasian Creed ends with, these are the things you must believe, and if you don't, you're not getting in. 
So what is it that people have to believe? Do they have to believe everything I believe? And so we talk about a lot of the things in the Bible as are they necessary beliefs for salvation? Is it necessary to believe that Mary was a virgin when she gave birth to Jesus for you to be saved? Is it necessary to believe that Jonah spent three days in a whale for you to be saved? Is it necessary for you to believe that the earth was made in six days for you to be saved? Where do we draw the line? What things are necessary? Part of it is through your the theology of your denomination. Lutherans believe we're saved by grace through faith. That's Pauline theology. Then the, the things that are necessary for salvation are that you believe that God loves you. You know, you believe in a God who loves you and you believe in a God of grace. Uh, and so the rest you just leave up to God. But people have argued about this for 2,000 years. What does it mean to believe? Well, and James says, faith without works is dead. So how much faith do you need? What is faith that saves versus just this belief? Of, well, yeah, yeah, sure, I believe. Well, I'll believe if it helps me, whatever. What do you need to believe? Well, I believe that you need to believe that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is Lord. Three words. Jesus is Lord. That's what we need to believe. What does that mean? Nine words. It means it is finished. He is risen. God is love. To me, that is that is the totality of what it is that you need to believe for John 3.16 to pertain to you. Okay, the problem with John 3.16 is people stop there. And they say, well, that means that if you don't believe, you're not going to be saved. But if you read John 3.17, the next verse, the same part, I mean, the same stream of thought that Jesus was having. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Listen to this. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. To save the world through him. So it's easy to say, well, if you believe you're saved and if you don't, you're not. But what does that mean to save the world? Jesus just really extends God's grace, extends God's promises in verse 17. We're going to get to heaven and we're going to see people and we're going to be surprised by their presence, but they're going to be surprised by ours too. I mean, I would hope that we all live a life that when, you know, people wouldn't be surprised that we get there, but I'm sure there are going to be people who are surprised, just didn't think we were good enough. They may be people from our past, people from a different time in our life, people who knew us was as when we were different people, people are going to be there that surprise us because the son came into the world, not to condemn, but to save, to save the world. What does that mean? What, who is included the world? What's included in that? Who's included in that? Is it everybody, everybody in the world, everybody who's ever been in the world? What does that encompass? Cause that's a big word. This is what it means. God wants to save. That God is a God who wants to save. God wants good things for us. And good things include heaven. Yesterday, we talked about the difference between heaven and hell. And the easy thing to do is to talk about that difference and say, now there's a whole lot of people who are going to hell, right? But this tells us that God wants to save. The Son of Man did not come to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. God wants to save. So who does that include? Who is going to be saved? So we, we talked about, okay, who does the Bible say salvation is promised to? Who does that? Okay, well, the believers. All right, but it, it doesn't just stop there. 
Most people think it just stops there, but it doesn't. Uh, if you look at uh, Romans 11, in Romans 11, Paul says that all of Israel will be saved, that all of the Jewish people are going to be saved. Romans 11, uh, verses 27 through 29. And this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. As far as the gospel is concerned, they are enemies for your sake. But as far as election is concerned, they are loved on account of the patriarchs. For God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. God's promises, God's promises are irrevocable. God doesn't make a promise and then take it back. God's story includes the people of Israel, always will. There was a article that was shared last night that people were worried about uh, this Lutheran group that is taking the word Israel out of the Bible and said, what's going on here? Why is this happening? I don't know. It's not us. It's not the ELCA. I mean, it may be a group within the ELCA that I'm unaware of, uh, but it's Dutch. It's from, it's a European thing. Um, It's not, you know, anyone can claim to be a Lutheran group. Anyone can claim to be associated with Luther. You know, we don't own the name, uh, own the rights to the name Lutheran. Uh, It's like saying anyone can name their kid Nick. Uh, it's, I don't own the rights to the name. Uh, and so you're going to find that people say and do all kinds of things and they claim to be Lutheran or they, but being a member of the ELCA church council, I can tell you, we did not have any kind of conversations about this, taking the word Israel out of the Bible. Absolutely not. Here's what we want to do when it comes to the Bible. And I cannot say this clearly enough. We want to take the text that is written in the Hebrew and Greek, and we want to do our best to translate it to the best of our ability into English so that the English Bible that we read is as close to possible as the Hebrew and Greek Bible as it was written. That's what we want. We want to do stuff like this. We want to study the Bible. We want to know what the Bible, people People can say all they want. My parents were watching a, a show on Netflix about Jesus and they said, oh, and, and they had Mary Magdalene at the Last Supper and all these other things that weren't, that aren't really biblical. And, you know, it, that's fine. People, people can do whatever they want. They can say whatever they want about Jesus's story. They can make up whatever they want. All I care about is what the Bible says. What does the Bible say? That's all that's important to me. What does the Bible say? I mean, people can make up and do, you know, there's going to be people who make up stuff and do things all the time. But what does the Bible say? Well, then you get into, well, what should be in the Bible and what shouldn't be in the Bible? Well, I, I think the Bible's probably pretty good. They, they did a pretty good job of putting it together. The Gospel of Peter didn't need to be a part of it because it wasn't written by Peter. The Gospel of Judas, I mean, it, these things that, you know, I, I can write a book right now and call it the Gospel of whatever, you know, I can give it anybody's name, Gospel of John Part 2, and say that it was came to me in a dream. But that doesn't mean that, you know, just because I put that as a title doesn't mean that it should be part of Scripture. Okay, so going back, sorry, I got on a little rant there. Going back to Romans 11, God's promises are irrevocable. Irrevocable. So Jeremiah 31, 33 to 34, this is what Paul um, Paul is quoting in Romans 11. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. Verse 34. This is one of my favorite verses in all scripture. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me 
from the least to them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. This is the promise that God makes in Jeremiah 31. I will remember their sins no more, meaning I will save them because I choose to save them. Now, just because Jesus comes along doesn't change this. God made a promise to the people of Israel to forget their sin, to remember their sins no more. I gave a sermon on this a couple years ago and referred to God as the great forgetter. God has chosen to forget their sins. God has chosen to forget that thing that stood between them and salvation. Now, when we talk about forgiveness, does it equal salvation? Well, not in the not in the New Covenant, not in the New Testament, but in the Old Testament, it does. That's the thing that stood between the people of Israel and God. That's the whole reason for the Mosaic Covenant. But God has chosen to forget their sins, to remember it no more. And so because that promise was made to the people of Israel, it is irrevocable, which means Israel is going to be saved. That's what Paul says in Romans 11. I know that many people have argued this and you're welcome to argue it. I don't if you believe something different that's up to you. But this is what the Bible says. We're, we're we're talking what the Bible says and that's what we're going with. Okay, so so if God makes a promise to the people of Israel and it's God's promises are irrevocable, let's take it to the next logical conversation. What about people who were baptized or uh, what about people who were baptized but stopped believing? What about people who were baptized as infants or as adults and then walked away? From the church. First, let's talk about the power of baptism. Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20, Jesus says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So, this is the Great Commission. Jesus sends out the church, and the job of the church is to make disciples through baptism. So, baptize. The church, baptism, baptizing is the work of the church. Go and baptize. Uh, go and baptize. And baptism then equals salvation. Baptism equals salvation. Romans 6, Paul says, uh, or don't you know, starting at verse 3, Romans 6, 3 and 4. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, through the glory of the Father, Father, we too may have light. We, we, we too may live a new life. So, for Paul, baptism equals salvation. Baptize. Jesus, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Baptize so that we may live a new life. Uh, okay, so let's talk about one verse that's a problem. Mark chapter 16, starting at verse 16. Jesus is risen. Jesus comes back, and this is what he says. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Hey, that's great. We affirm that. Jesus, good good verse, good verse. We're, we're all about that, right? Okay, I'm on board. But then, continuing on in verse 16, but the one who does not believe will be condemned. Hey, it's your party. You can invite who you want. Verse 17, and these signs will accompany those who believe. By using my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. Yep, they did that in Acts. Okay, I'm with that. Verse 18, this is where it gets weird. They will pick up snakes in their hands, and if they drink any deadly thing, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick, and they will recover. Well, let me just say this. 
If part of my job description is picking up snakes, I'm going to get a new job. Not interested. I know there's pastors out there who pick up snakes. Google it. And there's pastors out there who pick up snakes and who get bit by snakes and who die from snakes. It's happened. Google it. You can find stories. I'm not interested in that. The problem with verses, uh, these verses here. Okay. So as I said, our goal is to get the Bible right. Most, most of the oldest manuscripts, all the oldest manuscripts do not have these verses in the Bible. Mark 16 stops at verse 8 in the oldest manuscripts. Someone added these later. I don't know who, I don't know where they came from, but they probably shouldn't be a part of Scripture. And if you, if you open your Bible, if, it's, if you have a King James Version, it's going to be in there. And that's where these snake handlers, you know, get it from. But if you have a NRSV and you open it, it's going to have this last part in italics probably. It's going to say most older manuscripts do not include this part, which means it was added later, which means I'm not picking up a snake. If you ever see me holding a snake, something has gone seriously wrong in my life and you need to call the FBI or somebody because I need help. It, that If you see me holding a snake, that is my cry for help. Send help. I'm not picking up a snake. Okay. Salvation, uh, baptism equals salvation. The job of the church is to baptize. Uh, now, I want to take it. This is the last, last Bible verse for today. John chapter 10, verse 28. Jesus says, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. Once they're baptized, they are in the book of life. Their name is written in the book of life. Back from yesterday, from Revelation, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Now, uh, we have a member at Abiding Grace named Pastor Kathy Baines. She told me something about this verse once, and I'll never forget it. That once she believes that once people are baptized, that they are part of God's kingdom and that no one can take them out of Jesus' hands. No one can take, can snatch them out. No one can take away the promise that has been made to them. And I thought, Pastor Kathy, God bless you. That's right. That's right. So now... The question goes back to then, well, does everybody have to go to heaven? You know, because in John 3, 17, God saved the world. Well, I, I think that if you want to take yourself out of Jesus's hand, Jesus will let you do that. But the invitation is there. The promise is there. And once the promise is there, the promise is not taken away. So if you want to take yourself out of G, if you want to take yourself out of the equation, if you want to take yourself off the invitation list, I'm sure God's going to let you do that. I mean, I do believe there is a hell and I do believe there are people there, but I think that the ones who have been baptized and who are now there are there because that's where they've chosen to be. God has invited them and they've said, no, thanks. Right. That's what I think. I think once the promise is made to you, God's promises are irrevocable. So, okay, let's catch up on a few things here. So what about everyone else? We're going to talk about them tomorrow. What about everyone else? We'll talk about them tomorrow. What about people who don't believe? What about people who aren't part of Israel? Uh, what about people who aren't baptized? We'll talk about them tomorrow. So thank you for joining me. Tomorrow we will ask the question, what about everyone else? What about the people who died before they've heard before they heard about Jesus? What about the people who heard about Jesus and said no, but we're good people? We will touch on all that tomorrow, so please come back. Uh, good and gracious God, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for the gifts and promises that you make to each and every one of us. Uh, may we all uh, live our lives full of hope, knowing that this is not the end. Um, may our, 
may when we when we have questions, uh, may we come back to uh, the reality that you are who you are. You are a God of love. You are a God who wants to save. Uh, you are a God who wants to reconcile all things. Help us to trust in that and to trust in you. Uh, continue to be with our medical professionals and all those who are in harm's way. Uh, help them to help others heal while remaining safe at the same time. In Jesus' name, amen.